This is a Broad Pods production. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hello and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go. I'm Cecilia, the producer, and we've got a great show. Imagine that, another great show. But today, Joe Stanley is joined by our fabulous friend, George McEncrow. She is the founder of Sheba Rideshare and also a comedian and a radio chick in her own right and a mother of four and the list goes on and on. And we are going to catch up with Broad Radio's own Zoe Daniel, independent candidate for the seat of Goldstein in the upcoming election. And then advocate Catherine Moyle joins us to talk about what it's like to care for loved ones who are suffering from dementia. It is a really tough gig and she's got some great insight for us. It's all coming up on today's episode. Here's Joe. Before we get to our first guest, I needed to mention to you, George, that yes. last night I went along to see The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson. Oh, I want to see this film so much. Were you at a sneaky peek premiere thing? I'm, I'm lucky enough to be a member of ACTA. Oh, so I wow. got invited to a Q&A with Leah Purcell, who wrote, <sighs> directed and performed in it. Good. I... Cannot tell you how amazing this film is. Truly. And Leah Purcell is, I think, one of Australia's greatest talents and why she is not one of the world's superstars, I don't know. Because there ain't no justice, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, it's true. (laughs) She should be. So she was really just kicking it, wasn't she, in this? Oh, my God. So even, I mean, the film is breathtaking. I left and just went, well, that is as good as any Oscar-winning film I've ever seen. It's so beautiful. The fact that she, it's a hardcore performance, so it's a pretty traumatic story. Yeah. But that she's going from directing the scene to then the space of being that performance. How do people do that? To carry that much information in their heads and be able to change perspective and roles and it's like two different heads. Totally. She's like literally putting one head on and then like that's how it feels to me that she would have to do that. Amazing. Skill, like the skill, right? And be so aware of everyone around her too. Not just oh. the crew, but all the other cast and all the extras and all the lighting people, the sound people and it's huge. Exactly. Like directing is already a science and then mm. to add acting on top of that and she wrote it and it's so clever too as a business so her partner is um her business partner as well and so she wrote this the drover's wife as a play right for belvoir okay in sydney then it became a novel now it's a film and they're just working on a series as well God. So they're really clever with their IP. Yeah, like They're yeah. just going, how do we add and add and add and do different versions so every audience gets something different and new. It's amazing, right? But you can always tell the writing's good when it's been a play because mm. it just has to be perfect, doesn't it? A play has to speak to exactly what the issues are. Well, you know, when an audience doesn't like it. You sure know really straight away. Yeah. yeah. So an incredible talent as a writer as well. So Leah Purcell, and, and I was lucky enough to see her in this Q&A last night and honestly... 
I couldn't love a person more. Like I am so deeply in love with her. Yeah. Leah Purcell, here's your number one fan. Watch out. Yeah, I might. Uh, I would fangirl hard if I were to it's meet her. It's a little her. bit look who's stalking at the moment, isn't it? It's a little bit a too. Little. I love her so much. I do. I do. A little bit. But I bring it up not just to say, everyone, please go and see this incredible, incredible film. Um, but I wasn't going to go because I'm so busy. You are busy. We're all busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so tired and so busy and I knew that it would mean that I'd be getting to bed later because I had to do the work and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, nah, it's too hard. And then I was just like, do you know what? I just need more fun in my life. You do need fun, but fun costs, doesn't it? But how do we, you know, we always hear from everyone, you know, wellness world, oh, yeah. you've got to look work, after self-care, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I just kind of go, oh, how? And I chose last night to to prioritise the fun. Yes. But is it possible? How do, you, how do we do this? I don't know the lady who's done it. <laughs> and if she has, I, you know, good luck to her. And she probably won't be telling any secrets soon because uh-huh. it's just I've never found the way to do it. Like I just figure everything costs me something and I can only make the least bad choice at any given time. It's a bit grim, isn't it, to look at it that way. Mm. But if you want to stay out and have fun, you knew you were going to be grumpy the next day with the kids or whatever you had to do. Um, mm. but yeah, it does seem to be a real burden. I'd love to know how people actually prioritise things like that. Well, it's know. a bit of part of the mental load that we carry is on top of all of the other things we have to remember, we also now have to look after self-care. <laughs> yeah, well, no one else is coming. I've found that if no. I don't prioritise it, no. And you do, like you came in today so fulfilled and excited and enriched, which is what art and all those experiences are meant to do, right? They're not depleting experiences. They're really gratifying and deeply connect you to other human beings, Mm. which is what we want. Connection is key. But it is really hard if you can't get out to do that or it's going to cost you like not just money, but really more importantly, your time. And I think that's a really good point you make. Like I chose it because I knew I would be invigorated and I have been, absolutely. But I am able to then get a babysitter and do this. So I could afford the babysitter and I had someone I could call on to be a babysitter. I mean, later on in the show, we're speaking with um, Catherine Moyle, who is a carer for her partner and her mother, who both are living with dementia. Yeah. She may not have that option as a carer. No, it's a very tough thing. And the people who are giving the most are the ones who most need these kind of enriching experiences Mm. because you're trying to pour from an empty cup all the time. You know, it's really, really full on. But I don't know, at least you get Mother's Day once a year. That makes (laughs) (laughs) it You get a bit of crumbly toast in your bed and some cold tea. Oh, I tell you, my bucket was so full after Mother's Day. Enriched, (laughs) full to overflowing. (laughs) Weren't you? You were just like the Nile Delta after that. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Look, I guess the answer is that we need to try and be that for other people. That's yeah, answer, and also it? remind you that, you know, having fun is all we've got, really. Like, you've mm. got to go and make time for fun. And you can always sleep later. You'll, yeah. you'll catch up eventually. Although that's not what the dementia report says, does it? I read a fair <laughs> oh, bit about God. that. Going, no, it doesn't matter, just burn the candle. Oh, no, actually, probably it's not it's a good probably... idea. That's not a good idea. Oh, I don't know if there is an answer. But anyway, just go yes. and see the film if you can. Go and see uh, it. It is amazing. Um, well, look, someone who must be incredibly time poor and managing a huge amount of mental load is Broad Radio's own Zoe Daniel. Uh, she is running as an independent candidate for Goldstein in the upcoming election. But she has found time for us and she is joining us next. <laughs> It's only two weeks until Australia goes to the polls, although we can vote now if we wish. Wow. You don't even have to be sick. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The pre-voting has begun, but I tell you, I can't wait for it to be over because this election seems more toxic than ever. I am so sick of it. So I can imagine someone who is running as an independent candidate must be heartily ready for it to be over, hopefully with a win. And so let's invite one such independent. I'm calling her Broad Radio own, although maybe I can't do that for too much longer once she is a Member of Parliament. Hello, Zoe Daniel. Hello. Hello, Broad Radio. So nice to be back. 
Oh, love. I will continue to call you Broad Radio Zone forever yeah. if that's okay. Yeah, you got the T-shirts made now. Yeah. That's good. We've got people in high places, finally. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, and how, how are you going, Zoe? Is it? I mean, I've seen you all over the world, as many people will have reporting from some of the most dangerous and difficult places on earth. How is uh, the seat of Goldstein compared to, say, Burma just mm-hmm. before revolution? <laughs> Uh, Look, it's been interesting um, and I think that I've really grown and learnt a lot over the last six months and obviously as we've got closer to the election and I've become more and more competitive, this community campaign has become a real movement, then I guess the the level of toxicity can be sort of measured against just how much of a threat you are. Um, So I think we could say that we are quite competitive at this point because it has been quite nasty in, in some ways. But that said, you know, it's it's 99% incredibly energizing, positive and really quite inspiring actually because we have so much support and so many members of the community volunteering on the campaign. So there's just that small element of nasty, but I must say that my shell has grown quite hard over yeah. the last few weeks. Well, I was going to ask you what is the most some of the most shocking things that have happened during this campaign? Or have you been shocked? Oh, look, I think, well, there's the obvious sort of overt issue around removal and vandalism of signs, you know, nasty things being written on signs and put in people's letterboxes. One one of our supporters who had a sign on their fence had dog poo put in their letterbox. Um, Another one had human feces smeared all over the signs that were on her front fence. And we've replaced, I think, about 200 signs around Goldstein in the last few days that have been just torn off fences. Someone's been using box cutters to rip them off. So there's that. But then there's also just in the background, you know, some nasties on social media and a lot of digging of dirt in the background by those who seek to prevent me from winning, whoever they may be. And I guess I know a lot of journalists, so I know that dirt digging is going on. Um, (laughs) True. But it is quite discomforting to know that it's going on. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. I have to declare my interest, Zoe, because I am fortunate enough to be a resident in your wow. electorate, in, in the electorate of Goldstein, and I have fully thrown my support behind Zoe. Um, and so, I, I, you know, perhaps that's inappropriate when I'm building a media brand for me <laughs> to have such a declared interest. Um, but I'm not a journalist. I don't claim to be no, a journalist. No. So um, using my own voice in the way that I see fit. But the thing is, Zoe, you are so backed by the community um, that it it baffles me that people can think that you haven't got a right to do what you're doing because the community has given you that power and said please be the person that puts your hand up to do this. Yeah I mean one thing I think that's a little bit dangerous and not very clever from a strategic point of view is for those who are opposing this campaign to sort of try to pat it off as a, a bunch of outsiders trying to steal the seat or, you know, a fake group. When I was nominated to be the candidate by a community organisation that sprung up from the grassroots in Goldstein, and originally it was about 20 people who came together and said to each other, let's try to find an independent candidate. So it's not mm-hmm. as if even I put myself forward to try to take the seat the voices of group came to me and said would you be interested in running and we now have several thousand supporters signed up and something like 12 to 1500 volunteers who are out in the street today distributing leaflets at train stations or handing out how to vote cards at pre-polling stations so it's quite dismissive i think Mm, to just say oh this is just a flash in the pan or it's a bunch of outsiders because from my perspective it's quite the reverse to that it's just the most beautiful evolution of a community doing something for itself and that's really quite special win or lose I think well also I I just feel like it's got so much more power than when you might pay someone by the hour to go and (laughs) hand out leaflets or you know deliver leaflets to a, a letterbox like it's come from people who really care yeah, and there's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. I mean, if you're going to be their person, um, making sure that you are there listening to them all the time is a huge thing to undertake. Are you, you know, at all anxious about that? 
Oh, look, I I actually really enjoy that part of it. I think having been a journalist for so long and the thing that I enjoyed most about being a journalist, particularly when I was working in the ABC's rural department and then that evolved to me becoming a foreign correspondent, was speaking to people in their own environment. You know, I've spent lots of time in the halls of power, if you like, and interviewed presidents and prime ministers and such, but the things that I remember most are those moments with just real people in their own world, you know, getting a, a perspective on something that I don't know about and trying to bring that window into the world home to Australian audiences. So that listening and learning and then trying to purvey that position is sort of quite natural to me and that, that's the bit that I really like. I mean, I guess the extension of that is to really synthesise those priorities against, for example, expert analysis and what might be on the radar of the government of the day in order to take the views of the community forward in a, a genuine fashion. So talking of the government of the day, there's so much talk around the fact that you need to declare now who you will vote with in Parliament for whichever bill that might be discussed at the time. And I feel like, is that a misunderstanding of our political system? Because surely the point of being on the crossbench is you choose who you support. Yeah, based on the bill, surely. Yeah, I've been interested to see a few people sort of stepping into this conversation. Barry Cassidy, the former Insiders host, made a comment on social media the other day saying that if you did declare a sort of preset allegiance, you wouldn't be an independent. So it's actually the antithesis of what I'm trying to do. But I think that there's two things that are being sort of merged One is that if it's a genuine hung parliament and someone, one of the independents, has to guarantee supply, that is the budget and finance to keep the country running, then you might have to choose a side at that moment to say, okay, you can continue to pay the public service and we can continue to keep the country moving forward. But that doesn't mean that you're then going to vote with that side of politics into infinity. I think that's Mm. where the misunderstanding is because, you know, my position has always been that I'm not going to be making any deals. You know, I'm not going to get elected as an independent and then suddenly become like a sort of proxy member of either the coalition or the Labor Party. Every piece of legislation and policy will be analysed on its merits. That's the whole point of doing what I'm doing, which, you know, at its core is about holding the major parties to account because mm. I think accountability is what we're really missing. Yeah, yeah, that does come through. And the, the pressure on politicians to answer questions about ICAC has been, you know, I think grossly underestimated by the LNP or they're pretending it's been underestimated. But it does seem to come up a lot. People do want a federal ICAC. Is that your experience in Goldstein? It is. And the thing is that I think... It's broader than an ICAC, an anti-corruption commission, that goes to an integrity system. So that's about a code of conduct for elected representatives. That's about registration of lobbyists and opening of ministerial diaries so we know who's speaking to who about what and why. Mm. That's about caps on political donations and transparency. That's about protection of whistleblowers and also truth in political advertising. So I think... The pennies drop for a lot of people, actually, that integrity and accountability is the overarching problem across just about every policy area. If you consider, well, why is our climate policy the way it is? Why, who's influencing yeah. that conversation in the background? And therefore, why are decisions made in a particular way? And, you know, one of the things that's sort of for obvious and perfectly legitimate reasons come up of late is that the main concern for many people right now is the cost of living, obviously. Um, But that also goes to transparent and appropriate use of taxpayers' money and economic management. So, again, Mm. it comes back to the integrity and then it sort of flows into pork barrelling and rorting and who's spending money where and why and is that being done in the right way. So the integrity piece, I think, is really central to a lot of the conversations that I'm having. Yeah, and I think it really came out in that debate with uh, Dr. Ryan and Josh Frydenberg that nobody really knows why certain places like Gina Reinhardt's school got such a huge amount of money. It was over $4 million, I think. And 
you know, other th services like the Royal Children's Hospital is scraping by on three and a half million dollars per year. Um, these are the things I think during that period of COVID where watching people like Harvey Norman get these vast sums of money um, from JobKeeper, that really tipped people who maybe weren't Absolutely. normally interested in politics, mm -hmm. suddenly going, well, hang on, that's just seems completely outrageous and unfair and why? Well, yeah, I mean, there's an anecdote floating around in Goldstein and I won't sort of be too specific, but there was a local sports club having a lunch uh, uh, on last weekend and the people who were there or the crowd were told by the person speaking, oh, make sure you vote for the incumbent because he's promised X number of million dollars to fund XYZ for mm -hmm. the, the sport club. So, you know, I'm not denying that that club perhaps needs that money sure. but when that happens just before an election that's kind of overt vote buying isn't yeah it? justice has to be seen to be done as well as being done and it's not it doesn't seem it would be that hard to say that's a really outrageously inappropriate thing to say um because you have to be seen to be being even-handed um you know that's what transparency is about too well, and also because it just uh, favours incumbency, as so much of our system does, I'm realising, even the calling of the election, for example, no one but the incumbent government knows when the election's going to be. So everyone's kind of walking on eggshells for months, sort of thinking, oh, should we prepare our campaign or what should we do kind of thing? Um, and so it's the same thing with this sort of pork barrelling, because the only one who can really sort of promise that is the incumbent member mm. i guess you know maybe the opposition can then match it um but it makes it very difficult because whoever's in opposition is sort of playing catch up on the pork barreling and then it just becomes you know fight over rorted grants yes yeah. <laughs> so. so there's been a lot of talk around um the donations that you may have received and you know that you're actually a part of a political party that's you know secretly controlled by all these sort of cashed up people in the background and you know actually the the independents are in fact a, a, a party um what do you say to all of those sorts of allegations that constantly are being written about yeah so I've tried to be as transparent as I can. So we have all of the donations on the website and that's updated daily and that's all done within AEC rules. So at this point in total, I think the campaign's raised about $1.4 million, which is a huge amount of money. Uh, and about 470000 of that has come from the Climate 200 group, which is a crowdfunded organization that's designed to help level the playing field for independence so that's the organization that was founded by simon holmes the court but it has as i said ten thousand plus donors from across the country and then donors who've given money direct to my campaign now number over two thousand and we've raised almost nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars from not only within Goldstein, but also people in neighbouring electorates. So I think what that reflects, you know, as you can see from those numbers, we've raised double what we've received from Climate 200, and that respect reflects the level of interest and support that the campaign has. And the beautiful thing about that is that some of those donations are $10, you know. Yeah, um, it's lovely. Some of them are tens of thousands of dollars, mm. but it reflects the broad spectrum of, the community and the fact that people care and they've made a donation to a democratic process. But and exactly as you talk about the incumbent, they have a budget yeah. with which to <laughs> campaign. Yeah. You know, are they declaring where that money comes from? Well, they're meant mm, to. They're meant to. They're, they're meant to, but we don't know they're all not. the things. No. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not declaring anything. And they, they actually don't have to declare it until... Um, well, it doesn't come out publicly until potentially 18 months after the election. So, mm. it, you know, it's all very well and good to demand that I declare where my money's coming from, which I am, um, but then not to reveal anything about where your money's coming from is the ultimate double standard. Yeah, and it does lead to that sense of entitlement. I was really interested hearing some media commentary saying, you know, you know, these teal seats are going to be taken by people who've rightfully held that seat for so-and-so, <laughs> you know, from, from Wentworth to Goldstein to Kuyong. And I think, gosh, really? I didn't know that people got born with a seat handed to them. <laughs> Do you find that sense of entitlement kind of overwhelming sometimes, Zoe? There is a sense of entitlement, um, that's for sure. I mean, I think that, though, as I said, 
you know, I'm being carried along by a community movement and that creates a, a different set of responsibilities for me, but also a different um, kind of energy around the campaign because it's it's genuinely being buoyed by people in the mm. community who want to see a change. And, you know, the other thing that I would note is that the seat's named after Vida Goldstein, who yeah. was a world-renowned suffragist who helped Australian women get the vote back around the turn of the century. And I do very much keep that close to my heart. And it's a great privilege to be running in a seat that hasn't had a female member um, that's named after a woman like Vida, who was an absolute powerhouse um, in any era, let alone yep. the era in which she was operating. Yeah, well, you talk amazing. about women, and Annabelle Crabb tweeted this week, I'm astonished by how unprepared both major parties are to cope with the power and anger behind the women's vote at this election. So to finish up, Zoe, will it be the women that make the difference this year? Well, anecdotally, I find that I have a lot of support from women across the age and cultural spectrum. And, you know, when I'm talking to people in the street or trying to, you know, um, sell what sort of policies I'm talking about and what I want to achieve, I often find that the most difficult group is older men um, to convince, but the older women are often on board already. And I would say that I was at pre-poll yesterday for most of the day and there were several older women who walked out and gave me a bit of a wink as they <laughs> exited the booth. Um, so it. I'm taking that as positive. <laughs> oh, poker faces there in Goldstein. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> yeah. That's gorgeous. I That's love really it. sweet. Yeah. Um, we should ask, though, should you get elected, what's the first thing you do? Well, it will depend, Joe, whether it's a hung parliament or what the numbers look like, because, you know, that will really dictate just how things can be done. Um, but I think that my three priorities are very self-evident, climate integrity and equality. So it's to do with getting legislated climate targets and speeding up renewable energy. It's to do with getting an integrity commission and the sort of system that we talked about. And it's to do with getting the respect at work recommendations implemented the parliamentary behaviour recommendations implemented and a 10-year strategy for violence against women and children that's depoliticised so that we can actually get some action on those things. And then there's a deeper core, I think, around the gender wage gap, superannuation and being paid on parental leave, for example, and extending paid parental leave and universal childcare so that women and girls can maximise their contribution both in, in a social context, but also in an economic context for our country. Very a, exciting. Oh, it's yeah. a beautiful to-do list. Everything. It's everything. <laughs> it's a great to-do list. And uh, we, for you. Yeah, we hope you get to do it. Thanks so much for your amazing generosity as always, Zoe, and all the best on, on the trail today. Yeah, go well. So good to be on Broad Radio. Thanks for having me, guys. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, what a courageous woman Zoe Daniel is for putting her hand up. Anybody who's willing to go, yes, I'll do it. Yeah, I think there'll be quite a few people who get anxious about the thought of doing that i mean could you imagine anything worse for yourself couldn't <laughs> imagine <laughs> a worse me neither me neither thing. however i want to acknowledge the courage that you brought to what you did with oh, sheba george darling yeah 
So for people who aren't aware of this story, and it, I think is it a really, it's a story worth retelling in amongst, you know, entrepreneurship and startups in Australia, because you basically shifted the dial a little bit. Yeah. Take us back to right at the beginning of Sheba. Okay, so in 2016, I thought I would like to be able to drive for a rideshare service to earn a bit of extra money. Looked at Uber, thought that's a bit scary. Why don't? Why isn't there one where women can drive women and we can take kids as well? And so I invented Sheba and looked at all the data and, you know, managed to get all the, you know, different uh, exemptions from discrimination acts and then managed to build the app and then started the app in Melbourne and Brisbane and then went national over three years, raised quite a lot of money, raised about three million bucks or broke more records. Broke a record for virtual, which was a crowdfunding. I noticed Zoe talking about crowdfunding mm. there with the climate issue. And I think, you know, it was a very equitable way to enable drivers and riders to share in the asset. And everything was going swimmingly and then bow bow, COVID. COVID mm. hit. And it hung around. I don't know if you noticed that, but it wasn't the two weeks that we anticipated. <laughs> it really took hold. Just go home for two weeks and when you come back, it'll all be back to normal. <laughs> I can't believe they said we that. We actually thought that. <laughs> this will be done. Six weeks max. Yeah. Max. Can't be that serious. <laughs> so that just really, you know, we, we made immediate um, cuts and changes and thought we'd hang on. And then we made more cuts and changes. So we went from a staff of 42 at headquarters to a staff of five over two years just trying to keep it all afloat and eventually we just got to you know September last year and thought we need to put this baby into administration which really just means you're looking at your cash flow so revenue dropped by more than 80 percent and we're looking at our cash flow and thought we'll take it into administration and then hopefully someone will buy it Mm. and they can buy it and keep the service going and that will be great and that's exactly what happened so that was terrific and then I've been with them ever since but then you know the last couple of weeks thought no this isn't really quite the right fit for me anymore so off out walked away walked away from this baby that you birthed and was raising yeah clean the meconium off it (laughs) just did all of that I mean you got four children of your own and then on top of that you have created something that really it's a first in Australia and it came from that place that women have a need yeah which was the first thing you and I when we started speaking about broad radio and I looked to you and said I need help can you mentor me yeah and that was one of the things you told me that it's about responding to a need we and need. you did do that. Yeah, we did need. And no one was providing this space or could see the potential. I mean, the number of people that keep saying, oh, but it's so niche. And I go, oh, no, yeah. women aren't niche and children aren't niche. I don't know if you remember, but you were once one. Um, <laughs> and we were the only service provider for children. Yes. Like, you know, you can't put a child unaccompanied in an Uber, but people do all the time. Um, and because they're desperate, you know, there's no one else who's going to come and pick you up i mean we just have ridiculous laws in this country where it's illegal to leave a child at home alone but there is no pension or anything for women who've got little kids after the the child turns six so by the time your youngest child is six you're meant to be back in full-time work but work finishes at 5 30 and school finishes at 3 30 and no one has ever been able to manage that two hour you know, gap. Um, mm. Certainly no employers that I've ever had. Um, and, you know, unless you're doing something that is shift work and it finishes at three o'clock, maybe, you know, if you do nursing or something, you're okay. But for everyone else, yeah, but then also, they miss and, out on the mornings. Well, um, and, and the other thing is that, okay, so there's after school care, but if you have a child who may wish to, I don't know, play a sport yeah. like other kids. God help you. Or an instrument. Mm. Um, yeah. But not all schools have after school care. So It's true. You know, a lot of people say that and you're like, well, that's great. But if your local primary school doesn't have that, mm. what are you going to do? Change schools? So <laughs> I, I guess I want to understand this term administration because oh, yeah. I suppose people who have not been in business, and I, I'm new to business, right, mm-hmm. um, they would have read a headline. Yes. Sheba's gone into administration. Yeah. And there's a sense of, oh, does that mean it's the business gone. is a failure? Yeah. What happens there? Yeah. What does that mean about how the business was run? Yes. And it, it's not about a failure. Like I see this as you were looking at your options and going the most responsible thing to do here i had to do it is yeah. this step 
Yeah, you, well, you, you're told, you know, if you don't have enough money to pay your staff their entitlements and their wages, um, then you're trading insolvent. And that's when you're really naughty. You'll get a really big whack for trading insolvently. And um, I didn't want to do that. So we decided not to do that and to take it into... Then you have to find an administrator who is prepared to assume ownership of your business, which is what the administrator does. They assume all the responsibilities of running your business and trying to find a buyer for the business. So it doesn't then have to go from administration into liquidation. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's like... There's nothing left. People are coming to buy your chairs and your tables and um, all of that stuff. So we didn't go into liquidation. We went into administration and an administrator very thankfully took over the running of the business and found a buyer and the buyers have come in now and taken over. Mm. So how does that feel for you? Because the business has been quite a public, like there's been a lot yes. of PR around yes. what you've created with Sheba, rightly so. Well, I it think, also but... caused a lot of, you know, it was a good clickbait thing for a lot of media people to say, oh, women's only this. Um, and then you get all the standard trolls going, oh, men's haircuts and what if, you know, like just stupid, we should be allowed, why would women want to travel on their own? Mm. And you know, oh, if men did this, they'd be outraged. You go, well, men have done it. Like every taxi is driven by a man. <laughs> yeah, Nearly, you know, like 94% of cab drivers are male mm. and 90% of Uber drivers are male. So, so you've but, already got it. But how, how does it feel for you to know that, that now that narrative is out there? Um, oh, look, fine. I, you know, I think once I made the decision, yes, I'm in good company. There's lots and lots of businesses that through COVID, if you just, if you can't sell, if you can't work, um, if you can't drive people anywhere and there's no cash coming in, you don't really have a choice and you don't really know how to take it. Yeah, you can't, you can't just keep going. You have to stop it. Um, So there's no other choice really. And I think a lot of people would, if they know anything about business, they'll understand that. And if they don't, well, I don't really care what their opinion is. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Because I think we are often crippled by other people's opinions such that we don't make the responsible decision. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think once you realise that no one's really thinking much about you anyway, like, you know, that's the thing about life. No one really cares about anything you do Mm. um, except for you. And if you're... (laughs) It's true. What was that thing you told me once about the Oscar? Who was it? Oh, yeah. Warren Beatty read out the wrong name of the Oscar winner and he got up the next day and had a poo and ate his breakfast and... (laughs) You know, life went on. And if you can do that, if you can mispronounce the, if you can wrongly give the, <laughs> the best, to the wrong best actor award to the wrong person and live to, to you know, thrive another day, mm. you're okay. No one actually gives a toss about what anything I'm doing or anything you're doing or mm. anything. I think, I think that people, though, we fall into the trap of defining ourselves by external validation. Yes. So so the, the model that we're sort of being forced to follow as female entrepreneurs is the kind of business that men have set up basically through the decades. Yeah, yeah. And that is that ego-driven business and that's how you define yourself as a person. Yeah, and it's very, it's very toxic. It's very, you know, winners and losers and haves and have-nots and it's, it's not really collaborative and I don't think it's really sustainable um you know I think going back to what Zoe Daniel was talking about you know running on the platform of bringing women into things and equity and caring for the environment they all sort of go hand in hand I think and you have to break away from that you know kill it shag it sell it mentality to resources and people which is highly toxic and it has been part of the kind of general patriarchal approach to capitalism of winners and losers haves and haves nots Every interaction is a contest and it's really not. And the difference between scarcity and abundance and that we're just taught this scarcity mindset. All the time. It's mine, mine, mine and I have to protect mine rather than it's total abundance and there's enough to go around. Heaps to go around and really you don't need as much as you think you need. You actually don't need, you know, what better sheets. Like Mm. you have money or don't have money, you just like drive a better car and have better sheets really. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, sheets are nice. Sheets are nice and you don't want to sleep on the ticking. But at the same time, (laughs) it's fine to just have normal sheets. Yeah, you know. it's fine to have normal sheets. It's um, fine, you'll be all right. I, I'd like to mention there's lots of people engaging in this conversation. Eche oh. is saying, you did well, George. You should be so proud of creating oh, Sheba. You. Are you proud? I am. I am proud. It's um, It was a big thing 
and I'm thinking about you know things I would have done differently all the time but I am really proud that I just took it from an idea to being alive in the world you know that yeah, was you the big really thing did. you birthed yeah. it you made I always say that if someone makes something out of nothing and I don't care whether it's a stand-up comedy show or a yeah, small business a picture, or, or yeah. you know just or anything if you've made something out of nothing just stand back critics yeah because have you made something yeah. out of nothing you don't get to come in you know I don't I sort of stopped caring about the critics we got smashed a few times and um, had people come and give comments. I got a few death threats, you know, nice mm. things like that. Oh, nice. But it's sort of something weird about having gone through that. You just stop caring so much about what other people think. Mm. Um, it's really what your family thinks about you and what you think about yourself, you know. My kids are happy. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, and we'll just kick on to do something else. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 Um, acknowledging too, uh, Donna mentions um, that COVID saw the end of their op shop. This is uh, the uh, National Homeless Co- Homelessness Collective. Uh, um, and so, you know, all around us we saw people really struggle yeah. and it seems like now is the time, like they've managed to hold on. Lots of restaurants. But then now it's the time when the crisis is really yeah. Well, if you didn't have enough fat, I mean, it, it is interesting watching major companies come along like a few of my friends own pubs and they've had approaches to buy them now from you know people who are going to be the winners out of all this Mm. who giant conglomerates like Wes Farmers and you know people like that coming in saying beautiful you've got this great pub it's in a great spot great clientele and you ran out of cash so we'll come in and make you an offer yeah and that's very tempting I think for people but it's sad because it'll lead to fewer owners of these big public assets Mm. Um, if you're listening though do please donate to the national homeless collective because they're they're amazing um and yes to Mm. lose their op shop i mean that now more than ever they need your support yeah Yeah. um so then i mean entrepreneurship is a thing that women in their 40s tend to sort of be drawn to because we want to make do things on our own terms okay so for those of us who are diving into that and maybe you might again yeah go there and create something new yeah how do you what's your best piece of advice um i think have a really good mission statement and know exactly what it is what are you solving for whatever that is now that's food related or clothing or entertainment who are you solving for and not to be distracted by too many other things so if you know i know exactly who my audience is and what i'm trying to do here so you have a really good mission statement that will just help you so much to keep you know straight on the path of what Mm -hmm. it is you're trying to achieve otherwise we get well me i don't know i'm a bit adhd i get very distracted very easily and also other people would come to me and say can you help us can you help us can you and i'd have to say look it's really not part of our mission it's Mm. not not now anyway not yet maybe one day but right now i'm solving for this and that was getting women home safely. What about voices in your head? How do you deal with the I have a the very, fear a very the... good therapist. <laughs> Get a good therapist and take whatever drugs you need. And I mean, you know, prescribed yes, obviously. Yes. And um and yeah, do lots of exercise and talk to people. And mm. try to share it. If you could get a co founder, that would be a, another really good thing to do. It's a lot to carry. I felt very lonely at times on this, you know, path and it was tough. It was tough being the founder and the CEO and I felt quite alone and that wasn't good I'd really looked at with great envy at people who were doing things you know with another friend or with their partner or you know Mm. I think gosh I wish I'd done that yeah but But do it do it god don't die with the music in you dance yeah dance like nobody's watching I love that you're here George and I do want to acknowledge the work that you put in and yeah I totally agree with Etche you should absolutely be proud darling oh thank yeah, you yeah. thank you yeah it'll come i'm just still coming out of the shock of it all. it's like oh i just got hit by a car yeah <laughs> it's, i know it's true yeah. it's how it feels but it's all fine yeah 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 you live another day uh in just a moment we're going to be speaking with adjunct professor Catherine moyle to learn what it is like to live with uh dementia and what it's like to be a carer for someone who is living with dementia. That's after this. Broad Radio, talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. 
Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere. Every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more. Well, here are some t- statistics, if I can say the word. Statistics. You can do it, Joe. You can do it. <laughs> These are some statistics that I've heard often and maybe you have also. Dementia is the second leading cause of death in Australia and the leading cause of death for women. But for someone living with dementia or caring for a loved one with dementia, what challenges are you facing every day? To learn about this, we're really pleased to welcome Adjunct Professor Catherine Moyle and Dementia Australia advocate. I apologise for my stumbling. I was out late last night, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning. It's lovely to have you. Yeah, good morning. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. You want to Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, Catherine, your partner Chris is living with dementia. When was he diagnosed and how did that come about? Yes, uh, Chris was diagnosed in 2016 um, and it came about because um, over the course of several years prior to um, his diagnosis, I'd noticed that him sleeping a lot, more than what would be considered normal. Um, So, for example, he would sleep sometimes up to 20 hours in a day. Um, And his behaviours were becoming erratic and incomprehensible to me. He he wasn't the person that uh, I had been living with for the previous 20 years. Um, So after some fairly tough discussions, I was able to uh, get him to a GP and uh, long things short, he was diagnosed with something called frontotemporal dementia. Um, Frontotemporal dementia is just one kind of uh, dementia. There's lots and lots of different types of dementia. Alzheimer's is probably the one that most people would be familiar with. Um, but there are many, many different types of dementia. And um, uh, at the same time as that was happening, uh, my mother was also becoming ill and subsequently she was uh, diagnosed with dementia. So the last decade has been full of excitement. Have you learned a lot about dementia? Is there anything, Catherine, that you think, well, I wish more people knew that this was a sign of dementia or this was a precursor or things like that, that our, our people who are listening and watching today will know maybe some of the signs that perhaps are less well discussed. Yes. Um, I think one of the signs that is probably not well discussed is the inability to organise yourself or to get lost in fairly uh, familiar surroundings. So people like to stereotype dementia as simply memory loss and that's okay because for lots and lots of people there's you know over 300,000 maybe 400,000 families living having someone live with them living with dementia so it's something that a lot of people come across in their lives I think Um, and their first experience probably is uh, noticing when people's memory um, isn't so good but memory loss isn't just the only indicator. So I'll tell you a little story. One of the things that um, I noticed um, was that I was uh, at work um, and my partner, Chris, was accompanying me at that work in Brisbane. This is before he was diagnosed. And um, uh, we were staying in a hotel and the lift was um, absolutely chockers. It was completely full as we were coming down. At the second floor, there was no way anybody else could possibly get in the lift. The doors open up, and I, with great respect, make the comment that there were two very um, obese people waiting to get in the lift. And there was no way, even if they were children, they were going to be able to fit in this lift. In front of the whole lift and to these people, he says, you're too fat to fit. And um, I was absolutely mortified. Um, thankfully, the doors closed. Um, but the entire the entire lift took it, and it was full. Took this big inhalation because it was so antisocial. It's so outside of what we expect mm. people to do and behave. And I went, oh. That's not normal for no. my partner. Yeah, he's not um, only someone and- who's inappropriate like that. It was out of character. No. Yeah. 
very out of character. Um, so they were small indicators along along the way. And um, so, yeah, there's all sorts of different um, things that can indicate dementia. But for me, the, the, the biggest one is for that behaviour to be well and truly outside of what your own experience with that person is. Yeah, it's right. Like a so sort of if brain you were, injury almost. Yeah. yeah. If you're actually married to someone who is a bit of an asshole, who would yeah, you say may that. not know. It's not out of character no, at all. No. But... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I, I don't mean to make light of the situation at all, Catherine, because I imagine yeah. that, well, that process of being diagnosed must be terribly distressing for you and for Chris. Yes, at one level it is, and at another level it's not. Um, Dementia is a, um, for a lot of people, it's a slowly um, progressive disease. For some people, it's really quick, but uh, from beginning to death, but, um, or from diagnosis to death. But um, for a lot of people, it's actually very, very slow. So the changes in behaviour uh, can be very, um, uh, they can go unnoticed for a long period of, of time, but uh, they add up over, over time. So... Um, in our relationship, um, I was really to the point of, do I really stay in this relationship if this is how he's going to be? Uh, this is not okay behaviour. Um, so after after that building up over a long period of time, as a couple, we had to weigh out what was important and um, he agreed to come with me to the doctors to um, find out what could be done um, and uh, as I said the, the GP then led, uh, sent us to a geriatrician uh, the geriatrician did something called a PET scan which is uh, where the brain is actually scanned and they can see um, what the damage is to your brain and unfortunately my partner's diagnosis came back with frontotemporal dementia so he he does not have alzheimer's because that's a different chemical construction in the brain but mm -hmm. he does have that when we got that diagnosis and notice that the we you know it becomes mm -hmm. an all pervasive kind of thing so one of the challenge i'll finish that story and then i'll uh, anyway so um when we got um when we got that diagnosis, it was actually a relief um, because then there was labelling we could give to what some of the things that had been happening. It's not to say, as you say, that if someone's an asshole, they're an asshole. <laughs> um, but, so you've got to weigh up which is yeah. which. But, yeah. um, but at the same time, we were able to label a certain set of behaviours into that. We then decided after a after a period of time, we would actually share that information with others because we felt there was such a stigma to um, a, a, a diagnosis of dementia and we wanted to change um, that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it was, um, it was it's a double-edged sword for us. That um, makes sense, doesn't it, when you can start treating something as a medical neurological problem rather than just somebody who's suddenly becoming incredibly tactless or entitled or bullying mm. or whatever attributes that are existing mm. to be able to then come from a place of sympathy and regard I mean it must be exhausting for you though have you found that you've had enough support from the GP from the health professionals from various other sources yeah um I've learned that I have to ask for it and that I find has been very difficult. I, I don't come from a background where um, it's easy to ask uh, for help. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, Dementia Australia um, has a lot of resources out there, and I've and I've really wanted to learn uh, about the disease. As has uh, Chris, my partner. He's also voracious about reading proper journal articles, um, and I participate on. Uh, as, a, as a Dementia Australia advocate, I participate on um, something called the Dementia Australia Research Foundation, which is a foundation that supports research and development specifically on the various types of dementias. And seeing those proposals of the current research in medical research and social and cultural research has helped me to stay on top of what is the current thinking and, and so on for um, dementia. But it's, it, it is exhausting um, because um, there's so many different behaviours and uh, that have to be managed. And as, as uh, Chris's health declines, that the the weight of responsibility on me to make sure that everything works properly and uh, he has what he needs um, is really 
um, really demanding and mm. to do that both for my mother who is in aged care which is one system and then for home care which is another system and just the daily da uh, daily you know routines of life um, that that starts to be very wearing yeah you need a medal you need it, an award <laughs> something like we that. need a national holiday in your honor that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah and and I mean you you're an adjunct professor so you have a history in sorry experience in a long you know career in research um, has that assisted you? And what would someone do if they don't have that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I um, I really have found that um, ha having a research background has helped enormously because um, navigating there is help out there. Um, navigating that help um, is very difficult. I found anyway. Um, partly because it's navigating different government departments that are all expected to work in collaboration with each other. So, for example, Centrelink is involved. If you're under 65, it's the NDIS. If you're over 65, it's uh, My Age Care. Social uh, services get involved. And then in terms of assessments for people to make decisions about what sort of care they are entitled to from the government that involves assessments and so on with local care medical caregivers it is a very complex mm. web of um, of people that need to be involved and policies that are interacting with each other so I've found that I've spent a lot of time trying to work out how these policies work how you do that when you don't have a background in research um, is mm. just mind-boggling for me yeah. I just feel so sorry for those people that do not have that mm. kind of level of background and or resources to be able to find these things out thankfully as I said there are a number of um, uh, support agencies out there including Dementia Australia which do yeah. provide uh, a lot of support for uh, people I would just like to add before we finish up that um, uh, one of the key pieces of um, information that I never understood until um, my mother went into aged care is I see friends around me all um, uh, that uh, think that their downsized home is their last home, that they're not going to move again. Um, but unfortunately, if, if you get dementia, as you say, a, a lot of women are uh, subject to that, the ability to move into, my, into an aged care home if you don't have the, the equivalent equity in your home to be able to cover that bed, uh, means that you're going to be in your last years in a very difficult financial position. So getting support um, from uh, Dementia Australia or other financial organisations, Dementia Australia is not a financial um, organ, uh, a support organisation, but it will direct you to those, or, in, or getting financial advice is absolutely fundamental If as, as soon as um, someone gets a, a diagnosed with dementia because the trajectory could well end up in, in aged care. And if you don't have that equity in your own um, home, um, yeah. then you're going to be in a very difficult position. Mm, Sorry to end up on a downer. No, no, but, um, just, it's scary. It, it is scary and it leads me back to, well, Donna Stotzenberg, who is one of our greatest supporters and we support her as well with National Homeless Collective because, of course, we're and seeing... another home. It's the yeah, women, I, women I, over 55 is I the fastest house. growing... I couldn't get a house after a exactly. divorce. And that's a lot of women like me. Yes. Post-divorce, no house for you. Yeah. But it's, anyway, it's, it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. Well, Thank I mean, you, Catherine, you're I, I think I think Catherine, you allude to a, a, a you know a, a cascading problem, which um, maybe can be addressed depending on how we vote on the twenty first. Yes, get out and vote. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you for your time, Catherine. You're amazing. I really would give you a national holiday if it was within mm. my power. Yeah. And all the carers, you are yes. extraordinary, extraordinary people. Yeah, and good on Dementia Australia as well. Yes. Uh, well, and if you feel inclined, you can always donate to Dementia Australia as well because um, they do incredible work as far as advocacy and, you know, the amount of research that is required um, to maybe find a, find a cure for dementia, Catherine. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really good. Yeah. Uh, it's not curable at the moment. It, isn't mm. a, it, it leads to inevitable death, unfortunately. Yeah, well, as we were um, uh, saying hello earlier this morning, you said that you just had your first holiday, first respite holiday in, um, well, probably a decade uh, as a carer for your mum and for your partner. So I'm happy that you had that holiday and we wish you maybe just a little bit of respite this week. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, and I hope to do it again.
<laughs> yes, yes. Thanks. Thanks so much, Catherine. George, that's our show today. Uh, that was so much fun. Thank you for letting me play with you. Oh, I absolutely loved it. Thank you for coming in. And I tell you, we've gone full circle because this is our last day in this particular Shut studio. Up. Really? Yes. Oh, do I get to steal something as a memento? <laughs> <laughs> no, we need it. Um, we are moving out of Castaway Studios. Firstly, I have to say thank you to Castaway Studios yeah, for your support you, over Castaway. the last six or so months. I think we've been in here. It's been a really critical transition for us from what was a home studio in my house to here and now we're moving into a broad radio HQ our own little space so we're bumping out today from here and next Tuesday you'll see us in whatever guise that might be look it could be a bumpy road to begin with as we start setting up that new space what's life without bumps you need the bumps that's right and we're nothing if not transparent about those things (laughs) oopsie Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see you next week from brhq can't wait for that hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.